admit or face just how dark of a place humanity has come to. And to do so means that the certain influences in the world must be acknowledged. Hey there, friends, brave listeners. Welcome back to the End Evil Podcast. This is going to be the third episode in the Journey series. The spiritual journey is about growing up. The spiritual journey is about facing obstacles, challenges, fears, and struggle. It's inevitable that as we head down this dark, scary path of our soul towards inner growth, that we will encounter problems or danger. How will we deal with the robbers along the path through the woods or the monster from the caves? What monsters and demons will we encounter on this journey? How can we make it to the end without getting damaged or destroyed? What is the end? In, in uh, End Evil podcast episode one, we talked about the fact that the spiritual journey is tough. I um, compared following this podcast to uh, the, the hobbits heading to Mordor in The Lord of the Rings. On that note, I'd like to recommend another podcast, uh, which has inspired me, called The Wizard Factory. The Wizard Factory had a great episode in which they used this exact metaphor of the Hobbit, uh, Mordor, and it really stuck with me, and that's why I wanted to give them some credit. The links to uh, the Wizard Factory can be found at endevil.life. I also wanted to make an announcement about a project I've been working on with another podcaster, Chill Will Keller, which will be released soon, and uh, we discuss the spiritual journey as compared to the book The Neverending Story, which is a very exciting episode. And um, it'll be posted soon on the website under the Interviews tab. So back to our journey. Um, The most important aspect of the spiritual journey is that we are traveling with a dedicated purpose in mind. We see that evil is winning in the battlefield of our planet. And we want to turn the tide and shut down the evil. Unluckily, we can't just hack through the evil we face with axes and pointy arrows like they do in the movies. Our battle is one of information and small choices. Evil has taken a sneaky form, which makes it almost invisible to the average person. Evil hasn't changed, but it has changed how humans see it, perceive it, and deal with it. It has evolved. Humans don't react to evil often because they have become accustomed to it. They're used to working in and through it. I often think of people who work in coal mines. Not to say coal mines are evil necessarily, but it looks like a terribly unhealthy job that would take years off one's life. Yet people do it because they feel there's no choice. There's nothing else they can do. Well, slavery is the destruction of freedom. Why in a place with so much abundance and resource and beauty would we as humans be put in a position where we feel like we have no choice 
but to breathe coal dust all day, for instance. Something is seriously wrong with the soul of a person who would take a paycheck in exchange for physically abusing or killing another human being. A coal miner has a very innocent job in that they're not harming others. The harm is only being done to them. But imagine people that will take money for a paycheck and their job is actually to harm others, to wear a costume and, and carry weapons and initiate violence on other human beings. That would be uh, someone that joins a military or a police type of job where you're basically um, giving up your right to have a freedom of choice by contract and um, in that way giving up on the spiritual journey and, uh, and damaging the soul. We all start on the individual level by taking this journey of freedom. That's how we break the invisible chains. There's, when the inner door is unlocked, we find the key of knowing truth. And that key is the only way to open the door to freedom. The tricky thing about freedom and truth is that they demand our attention and hard work in order to fully appreciate and maintain the principles in our life. Otherwise, if we do not work and fight hard for our freedom and truth, we will end up with slavery and deception. The 42 Principles of Mott What we desperately need in the modern age is a higher standard for moral values, human virtue held high in the public conscience. We need to study morality like we do football and trading cards, but much more seriously. It's a joy to discover truth and principles, which is far superior to fun. As an ideal, why not seek enlightenment over mere happiness? Ask around. Ask anyone. What is the most important thing in life? Most will respond with some form of happiness or success usually involving having plenty of money to do as they please in their old age. What a shitty ideal that is, and it's so utterly common. It's time like no other to understand the vital importance of recognizing truth. With no gauge for what is right and wrong, other than long, confusing lists of books with complex, weaving stories that most kids have, most kids have never been exposed to just simple and basic common sense truth. For instance, who teaches their children the 42 principles of Mott? I just discovered this last week. I was so shocked. I almost yelled out loud. Why not teach this on day one of every grade at school? Why did no one ever show me this? I would hold my hand on my heart and say these words. I think when I was in second or third grade was when I began refusing to salute the flag. Even at that age, I really didn't like the sound of pledging my allegiance to a flag. How about making a pledge to be honorable and human being that doesn't cause any harm to creation? I'd be down for that. I found the 42 ideals of Matt, Matt, and I also found the 42 Divine Principles of Mott, 
and I'm going to read them to you. First we'll start with the 42 ideals of Mott. Number one, I honor virtue. I benefit gratitude. I am peaceful. I respect the property of others. I affirm that all life is sacred. I give offerings that are genuine. I live in truth. I regard all altars with respect. I speak with sincerity. I consume only my fair share. I offer words of good intent. I relate in peace. I honor animals with reverence. I can be trusted. I care for the earth. I keep my own counsel. I speak positively of others. I remain in balance with my emotions. I am trustful in my relationships. I hold purity in high esteem. I spread joy. I do the best I can. I communicate with compassion. I listen to opposing opinions. I create harmony. I invoke laughter. I am open to love in various forms. I am forgiving. I am kind. I am respectful of others. I am accepting. I follow my inner guidance. I converse with awareness. I do good. I give blessings. I keep the waters pure. I speak with good intent. I praise the goddess and the god. I am humble. I achieve with integrity. I advance through my own abilities. I embrace the all. All life is sacred. Modern humans are so far from this simple one. Many of the people that lived on this land before it was called America know better. There was an understanding that all life is sacred. Many, many did have respect for Mother Earth. Still, in areas where folks that live closer to the land also understand this idea fundamentally because they actually do survive with and from the land, animals and trees. Nature has a way of teaching these ideals. Modern industrialized societies are far removed from nature. For too many in those modern societies, the ideals of Mott are a laughable idea. Look at the pollution on the earth. The way to repair this damage is to internalize a secure understanding of natural law. Perhaps the 42 principles of Mott will aid you in your spiritual journey and moral choices. Or it could be a conversation piece to share with others. I hope to use it as a tool to gauge my personal inner fortitude and continue the work. So the other poster I found um, is the image here with the 42 divine principles of Mott, which is 
basically the same uh, list, but written in a different way. Um, the idea was from the Egyptian point of view, you were going to be, after death, confronted where your heart would be weighed with a feather. And you would have to say the 42 divine principles. And in some accounts, it would be said like this. I have not committed sin. I have not committed robbery with violence. I have not stolen. I have not slain men or women. I have not stolen food. I have not swindled offerings. I have not stolen from God slash goddess. I have not been exclusively angry. I have not cursed the god or goddess. I have not behaved with violence. I have not caused disruption of peace. I have not acted hastily or without thought. I have not exaggerated my words when speaking. I have not stolen what belongs to God slash goddess. I have not overstepped my boundaries of concern. I have not cursed anyone in thought, word, or deeds. I have not stolen from or disrespected the deceased. I have not destroyed property belonging to God slash goddess. I have not taken food from a child. I have not been angry without reason. I have not seduced anyone's wife. I have not closed my ears to truth. I have not terrorized anyone. I have not disobeyed the law. I have not told lies. I have not carried away food. I have not cursed. I have not polluted myself. I have not committed adultery. I have not made anyone cry. I have not felt sorrow without reason. I have not assaulted anyone. I have not worked evil. I have not used evil thoughts, words, or deeds. I have not polluted the water. I have not spoken angrily or arrogantly. I have not falsely accused anyone. I have not placed myself on a pedestal. I have not acted with insolence. I have not been an eavesdropper. I am not deceitful. I have not stolen anyone's land. It's quite a list. The only thing that um, sparks a little disagreement in my mind is the use of God, Goddess. And I'm not sure what they meant or the, you know, whoever wrote this particular list meant by that. But I think if, for me, from my mind, if I just change that to the all or men and women, any man and woman, um, or the spirit of man and woman or something like that, it makes perfect sense. Um, of course, I do not, um, agree with anything that is, um, creating some sort of deity or authority other than the all, if that's what their intention on this list was. But in, in ancient Egyptian uh, lore, you would have to be practically perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins, to get to the last ultimate garden in heaven, uh, the Hall of Reeds. In our current state, there's no ideal that's close to that other than being the A-plus student in school. And school has very little discussion about morality, in my experience. Uh, public school, that is. 
Most people would be hard-pressed to be able to make any one of these statements with confidence regarding the whole of their life. And by the way, the one that says, I have not disobeyed the law, I would, in my mind, translate that natural law, not man's law. So we have to hear from Jeremy Locke. Evil, the crucial key for understanding our world is to understand the nature of evil. Evil challenges the value of people by denying them the opportunity to make their own choices, by denying them the chance to grow strong in learning and understanding. In so many ways, the average modern human is decidedly off base from reality from a very young age. The shift begins when adults lie to children. When we consider the ideals of Mott in comparison to the expectations of our former generation, there's a vast difference. A couple blatant examples of lying by adults towards children are Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Seemingly harmless lies, harmless lies that kick a child's mind off focus. If this is true and possible, then this must also be true, goes the logic. It's not just a few parents perpetuating this big lie on the young minds with this fuckery. Welcome to the hellish existence we've created for ourselves, where actual truth is practically a swear word. Carl von Eckhartshausen hope I said that correctly, said, Advancing towards perfection, the true good is to aspire to a resemblance with divinity, to advance towards unity between the creature and the creator. Working our way closer to unity-mindedness, becoming closer to nature, closer to the principles that define our reality, is a constant job. It's an unrelentless challenge. Much of the game of shoots and ladders, much like the game, there's many ways to slide back down to places where you thought you got past. There's also ways to climb higher and get ahead if you keep playing the game. Problem is, too many minds don't seem to understand that the quest for truth is a requirement, not a choice. It's not a question of rolling the dice like in the game. It's a question of effort and willpower. It is also a question of inevitability. A person can resist for quite some time, but eventually you must grow, unless, of course, you choose death. Nature will be very accommodating in that way. So I want to give you a takeaway here, um, something called mind hike. Um, life can really only be handled one moment at a time, just like a journey is one step at a time. Each day we're reborn, um, like the light rises every morning. Each night we dream or sleep, which is a temporary hibernation, a small death. As we head down the path into the dark woods of our journey, we know it's really just a matter of time until something scary or dangerous pops up. How do we prepare ourselves? How do you prepare for the unknown? By gaining wisdom, by having a love of wisdom. You can understand yourself. Know thyself, the oldest wisdom 
there is. It takes hard work to look deep inside, inside of yourself, to solve your own issues. Here's one tool which I found to help. Take a mind hike. For me, climbing an actual mountain is the best way to do this. Um, use the time and everything you see on the journey to help illuminate your problem. Small things can become analogies or symbols in your mind. As an example, on one trip I created a YouTube video called Mind Hike, which is intended to give you a sample journey, a meditation style that you can go through on your own home and your computer. You can put on some earphones and um, watch the Mind Hike, which I have on my YouTube channel, and I will share also on andevil.life. Um, or take this idea and run with it and create your own mind hike. Find a way to take yourself on some type of journey where you have the opportunity to be alone with your own thoughts for a few hours. And doing something physical would help to get you in the state of mind to have insight into solutions. Sometimes I think that the trees give me ideas when I hike through a forest. Or maybe the weeds on the ground. But things come to you. When you're in the right state of mind, in the right place, helps too. The Egyptians are proof that a society could exist with a better moral structure in place. I think there is much to learn from the Egyptians and the people that influenced the Egyptians. Where did they get their wisdom? Perhaps we can delve further in future episodes into Egyptian lore. But for now, I will read you some things I found to get us started. The ancient Egyptians believed that the universe was ordered and rational. The rising and setting of the sun, the flooding of the Nile, and the predictable course of the stars in the sky reassured them that there was permanence to existence, which was central to the nature of all things. However, the forces of chaos were always present and threatened the balance of Mott. Each person was duty-bound to preserve and defend Mott and the pharaoh was perceived as the guardian of Maat. Without Maat, none would reclaim the universe and chaos would reign supreme. <laughs> none reminds me of the great nothing in the never-ending story. The Egyptians also had a strong sense of morality and justice. They felt that the good should prosper and the guilty would be punished. They praised those who defended the weak and the poor and placed a high value on loyalty, especially to one's family. However, they also understood that it was not possible to be perfect, just balance. Mott transcended specific ethical rules, which differed according to different times and different peoples, and instead focused on the natural order of things. That being said, certain actions were clearly against Mott as they increased the effect of chaos and had a purely negative effect on the world. The soul would leave the Hall of Judgment, be rowed across the Lily Lake, and enter the eternal paradise, or the Field of Reeds, in which one received back everything they had been taken by death. For the soul, with the heart lighter than a feather, those who had died earlier were waiting along with one's home, one's favorite objects and books, and even one's long-lost pets. This is the judgment day of the dead by Osiris. 
Should the heart provide heavier, however, it was thrown to the floor of the Hall of Truth, where it was devoured by Amenti, also known as Amut, a god with the face of a crocodile, the front of a leopard, and the back of a rhinoceros, known as the Gobbler. Once Amenti devoured a person's heart, the individual soul then ceased to exist. There was no hell for ancient Egyptians. Their fate worse than death was non-existence. The most difficult shift in my thinking regarding the spiritual or moral journey is to step away from the egoic perspective into what is best for all type of thinking. Even if one was concentrating on truth for the sake of personal gain, that person would be stuck at a certain level, not able to reach the ultimate spiritual goal, the Hall of Reeds, or the Heaven, or Illumination. Even if we look again at all the 42 principles of Mat, and a person were to follow the code in the strictest manner, not ever stolen anything or lied or etc., there would still be one final feat to accomplish, the most difficult feat of all, to let go of the self and be willing to serve what's best for the all. Amit, or Amit, the eater of hearts, the great eater of hearts, or the great death, the devourer, or the gobbler. Amit was an Egyptian demoness. She was known as the eater of hearts because she was the demoness of punishment. She was a netherworld dweller who waited by the scales of judgment to consume the hearts of those who did evil during their lives. She was not worshipped and was never regarded as a goddess. Instead, she embodied creatures that Egyptians feared, threatening to eat them if they did not follow the principles of Mat. She had the head of crocodile, the body of a leopard, and the backside of a hippopotamus. All fierce creatures to the Egyptians, all man-eaters. It's no wonder she was depicted as one who concerned, consumed the unworthy dead. Instead of the lies told to children to placate them, instead of the lies told to children to placate them, it would be better to have an archetypal character who symbolizes getting eaten, which is an actually a euphemism for raped, killed, molested, all the terrible things that can happen if you make poor choices in life. As the child grows, we can explain how this monster is really a concept or idea. This process does not involve lying to the child the character is used to bridge a concept without fear, other than of other humans, which are in truth the real danger, or ourselves. So for the sake of this podcast, in this series, let's just imagine that this ugly Amit creature, as the embodiment of what evil wants to swallow you, it's just waiting with drooling teeth on the side of your trail. You remember, we're on a journey here. So we're walking down a path on this journey, and we know that this gobbler is waiting for us to show up. 
and make a mistake and veer off the path. As soon as I step away from my truth or true path, he's going to start coming for me. I'm going to feel emotions as my inner spirit warns me of this danger. And when I choose, that's what forces me in to choose to get back on the path. So let's make it our goal this week to be mindful of where we take our steps. Consider the Egyptian code of morality and ask yourself, is there one small thing you can do today or this week to be a little bit more self-disciplined in day-to-day -day practices and dealings? Is there a way to make amends for some past mistake or to give up a bad habit when you know you can make a more healthy or beneficial choice? Remember, Amit the destroyer, the gobbler, is just over the knoll, behind the tall grass, waiting for your ass. Okay, what are, well, what are we supposed to do and what are, what are you going to do? What are we supposed to do? And what I would say, you have to understand the, the the totality of the big picture, the the tapestry of all of this information as it pertains to what's going on in the world and how it affects our lives on a day to day basis, and then put it into a format that can be readily understood by other individuals, and then share that information with whoever will accept any part of it, with whoever will accept any part of it.